We're going to be over in your Bibles over in Daniel chapter 3. Over the last couple of weeks, we used a couple of examples here with you. Talking to you about flavor, about the things that we, we leave behind. The, we looked at first the different types of foods that we brought out. You remember the celery representing bitter folks. Horseradish, those that are moody, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's not. Different ones that we had brought out that each of us develop a certain flavor based upon the ingredients we put in. Last week we were looking at the different ingredients we can add into something like spaghetti sauce and how we can change the flavor of it depending upon what spices and what things we add in. Some things are beneficial. Some things make it taste good. Some things, well, not quite so much. And one of the things we left you with to ponder was that good flavor means good favor. That if people can pick up from you that there is a good flavor about you, a good air, that they tend to want to do good things for you. And so we looked at some of the things that we can do, some of the ingredients we can add. Ingredients of the flesh, this doesn't make us very very um, enjoyable to be around. But ingredients of the Spirit, oh, these are good. These are things that are helpful. Well, we have a little video for you to, to watch. This is... Um, I was actually looking for two different things, and I, I just couldn't find the second one that I wanted, so I just brought in the, the good one. I wanted to bring in a good one and a bad one. So I asked... Uh, uh, I've put it up in our, our, our video already. We're going to start off with this one, and I want you to just sit back, and I want you to just listen for... We're going to do this for about a minute. How many of y'all like classical music? Good. How many find the, the tune of this very pleasant? This is one of my favorite favorite ones. This is by Joseph Haydn, and it is uh, his cello concerto. Oh, I tell you what, I, just, I love the music. I can just sit here and just listen to this and feel that music just coming on through. But here it's played by many a professional, and we can sit here and go through the whole thing and just listen. I know I could. I, I love this one of my favorite pieces to listen to. The ones I was trying to find on the contrasting side were those people who are just learning the violin. If you just are learning the violin or one of the stringed instruments, the cellos, it doesn't sound quite as good as this. In fact, when you hear it being played, it hurts. You want it to stop. You're like, no more. No more. How do people get to be at a place where they play the instrument this well? It makes it so pleasant to listen to. But you know, in order to get there, you had to stumble through. You had to become unhearable. You wanted to put you in a soundproof room. 
and just sit in there and play. As I was looking for one of the bad videos, I found this one girl who, who uh, had put on here. She had been practicing for three years. And she started a document, documenting it, and she, she put a video up of her playing it after one week of practice. And then after three weeks of practice, and then after a couple of months. And she showed the progress throughout the whole thing. That was, that was really interesting. It was just a little bit too long for what I wanted to do. But music can be very pleasant, and we can enjoy it. It can also be very irritating, and it can kind of drive us crazy. We don't like it. And it's the same way with us. If we bring the right things in, it can sound like the orchestra. All the different parts coming together, and we hear it being played, and we enjoy it. Or, we can be people of the flesh, and just pick up any old instrument, and play it any old way that we want to, and do whatever we think we should. What kind of a person, what kind of instrument do you want to be? We can paint that down. Thank you. We're going to take a look at a story that I know we are all very familiar with. I was actually, in, in thinking about this aspect of favor, I was going to go to a different story, and my wife and I, we were in the shop, and we were listening to Brother Keith, and Brother Keith was talking about this particular chapter. I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about this one in the area of favor before, but certainly this, is, this can come in there. And since it was along the same lines, and I kind of like this one better, I went ahead and stuck with this one. So turn over to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, before we get there, I'm going to read to you from Proverbs chapter 1. We've told you a number of times that favor is not something that you pray for. Favor is something that you grow in, much like faith. Faith is not something you pray for. Faith is something that you grow in, and favor is along the same way. But in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. How many are getting the idea that this is important? All through the book of Proverbs, doesn't he emphasize the importance of the word? But verse 4. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. How does he say is the way to find favor in the eyes of God and man, don't forget his law. Let your heart keep my commandments. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. These are things, that if we do these things, then favor we will find in the sight of God. Favor we will find in the sight of men if we do these things. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. This is after, the, remember last week we were looking at the uh, image of gold that Daniel said he saw in his dream. That image of gold was not of him, but he decided to make one of him. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. I had a note in um, my Bible that's about 125 feet tall. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather throughout, uh, together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the, tre the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had, had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and tongues, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and the psaltery in, sim in symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they would put together their orchestra, much like we listened to the one we had put together here. And they played, and I'm sure it was a beautifully sounding musical piece that they had, had played. Not everybody just doing their own thing, but something that they uh, made that would sound good and probably to a particular tune. So that when you heard this tune, you knew you were supposed to bow down. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, did God have any hand in setting up this image? No, God does not have a hand in setting up false worship. But this had been done in the kingdom for which Daniel and his buddies are serving in and have already been promoted in. We have the image that is set up. We have the herald who went out and he made the cry before all the people. This is what you're going to do. This is what you need to do. So everyone is informed. I put in your outline for you. Whatever is forced is seldom genuine. Whatever is forced is seldom genuine, but the results often are. Many people may have bowed down and may not have been genuine in their worship of this image. But the results of bowing down and worshiping to a false image, those results probably are genuine. God looks upon us, whether we stand or whether we bow, to false things. And though we may say we're not sincere in what we do, the results often can be. So he says this, of all peoples, nations, and languages... So if you want to get along with people, if you want to just, you know, be, have favor with people, and here's the situation, we got the big golden image, and if, you know, if it's as tall as we think it is, I mean, that took a long time to build. You didn't do this overnight. This took a long while to, to build this. That took a lot of dedication. It's a lot of gold to, uh, put, it may not have been solid gold all the way up there, but they had gold on it. So it's still a lot of gold. If you want to get along with everybody, just go along with the program. Well, Father God, I'm not sincere in my worship. I'm just going to bow down because, you know, we need favor. And I just want to have favor in this, in this kingdom. And these three guys could have said, well, you know what? God has brought us into a place of favor. We've already been promoted in the kingdom. And, and we're going to be able to do good things for God because of the promotion we got. We don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers or rock the boat. We're going to just go along with the program. They could have said that. 
Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now certain Chaldeans, there's certain, how many of y'all know in your place where you work there's always certain people? <laughs> certain people. You know who they are. They're going to make trouble. It's always a certain one. But it says certain Chaldeans. Now Daniel is not a Chaldean. There are other people from other nations that are brought in to this leadership group to get the best from all around. So they're not all Chaldeans, but the ones who come are the Chaldeans, which means there's a little bit of jealousy going on here. These are some other nations. They're not of our nation. Why are they having such powerful positions? We need to find a way to knock them down a little bit. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now, these Chaldeans probably had no hand in making this law that everybody had about out. But they saw an opportunity. They saw that these three were not bowing down. And we can use that as an opportunity to get rid of them. Because if these three had been promoted, and they were promoted in the previous chapter, Daniel was promoted and they were promoted along with them. If they were promoted, that means that somebody else wasn't. That means somebody else has taken a higher position that these Chaldeans would probably like to have. So the best way to get those positions opened up again is kill them. <laughs> Knock them off. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now, there may have been others. Every time we see pictures of this story, how many times do we see the pictures and everybody is bowing down except for three. Except for three. That's it. Just these three. And the question is always asked, where's Daniel? Daniel has a higher position. He's probably off in another province doing something for the king's business and wasn't there. Because you know if Daniel was there, what would he be doing? He'd be standing. He'd be right there with these three. And if he's, if the reason for the jealousy is the promotion, Daniel got a higher promotion than they did. So surely they're going to come after him as well. So Daniel is not here some reason he's someplace else. They called everybody to come from all over, but somehow Daniel in his position was off taking care of king's business someplace else. But it doesn't mean that of all the Jews that are in the land, it doesn't mean that only three didn't bow. What it means is there's only three that they cared about. They didn't care about the rest of them. They cared about these three because these three are in their way. How many of you would say that these folks do not have the favor of all Chaldeans? They had the favor of the king before, but they do not have the favor of all Chaldeans that as they were going on their way and being promoted, people got jealous, people got envious, people got mad, and they did not have their favor. Later on, Daniel we find out he uh, gets thrown into the lion's den because people were envious of his position and wanted to get him out. They actually helped make the law to get Daniel in trouble. He did not have their favor either because God does not have the favor of other people to give to you, but he can show you how to operate that you can, op that you can have the favor of most people. So there may have been others, but only those who stand in the way are focused on. These are the guys that are in the way. 
You've got to do something about them. So we're not bringing up anybody else because if we do, we're going to get the king lost on focusing on... Because the king is only going to care about who's not bowing. He doesn't care that these are three people that are in your way. But he cares about who's not bowing. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Now you may say they're trying to butter him up, but if you came to the king and didn't say something nice, you're probably not going to stay to the king very long. So, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Again, there probably are other people who are not bowing down. How many know that Israel still has prophets? Those prophets are not bowing down. But we don't care about them. What we care about is the three guys that are in our way. Those prophets, they're not being promoted. They're not in a position to take anything from us. But these guys are. We need to get them out. Have you ever had people who got envious, jealous, and mad at you and did things to make you look not as good, not as favorable? And sometimes you're left saying, God, I thought I would have favor. I didn't think that these kind of things would go on. I thought I would have favor. Now look what they said. O king, speaking of these men, have not paid due regard to you. So the, this is the first accusation. They have not paid due regard to you. Due regard. Is any man due worship? No. That is, no man is due worship because they're a man. O king, they have not paid due regard to you. So the first thing is due regard. Well, that's, that's a wrong accusation because he shouldn't be calling for worship for himself anyway. But he is. People do stupid stuff and people have asked us to do things we shouldn't do. They do not serve your gods. Anywhere in the decree that the king made, is there anything about serving Chaldean gods? No. There's nothing about it. They just throw that one in there. Let's try and get the king really mad. They're not even worshiping your gods. He knew this about these guys before. They made it very clear. We are of Jewish descent. We serve Jehovah. They made it very clear when they got the dream and its interpretation. Who they got it from. Who they serve. This is nothing new. But they throw it in there. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now that one is right. They don't worship that image. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. <laughs> I put this in your outline for you. It's easy to, it's easy, it is an easy thing to stir up some people's flesh if you tell them they are not getting something they deserve to have. If you want to know whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit, look at your thoughts. I should have that. 
I deserve that. Those things are going around. You are a flesh creature. Quit talking about what you deserve. Quit talking about why well, I should have that. If you should have it, if God has ordained for you to have it, guess what? You'll get it. You don't need to go around talking like that. So Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Bring them out here. I want them. I want to see them all. Get him. He's mad. He's furious. So these guys are not only going to go get them, they are afraid of what the king would do. So they go out there and they grab these guys. Now, if you were not here on Wednesday night, so if you don't tune in on um, the Facebook feed that we do for the Wednesday night service or don't get the podcast, then you missed one that we did a little bit ago on uh, lawlessness and righteousness from the book of Hebrews. If you want, you can go back up there because it's up there on the, on the internet. You can download it and podcast and so forth. But one of the things of the enemy's kingdom is the enemy's kingdom is filled with lawlessness. But God loves righteousness. He loves righteousness. Whenever you see a society try and get to a place where it is becoming lawless, that is a direction that goes towards the satanic side. Because God believes in law. He believes in law. And one of the things we looked at for this, and I think the example we used, um, was uh, Miss Rosa Parks. I remember that story. Now, I was not there when Miss Rosa Parks had her little uh, demonstration. I've heard stories about it, so I can only relate what I've heard the stories about. If I am incorrect in any of this, and you all want to correct me on it, no, it didn't happen like that, that's fine. Because I don't know. I've read about it. And, of course, you can read all kinds of renditions about the things, that, what went on. But this is what impressed me about Miss Rosa Parks and what was, was going on with that. When she decided to sit in the part of the bus that was not designated for her, and she decided to sit in the front of the bus, is there not a law, and was there not at that time, a law in our country that said what would happen if she sat in the front of the bus? There was. I mean, it's, un- it's unbelievable that you think about it. But um, that's what was going on. There was a law. And so she sat in the chair that was not designated for her. And so the law came down upon her, didn't it? Because that's what the law was. Now, one of the things that impressed me, I mean, it's impressive that you, you would stand up against a law like that to bring it to light. Now, I think it's, you know, she was probably trying to, to do just to bring that law to light. But there was a penalty for it. And all the stories I've read about Miss Rosa Parks, I never one time saw that she rebelled or complained about the law that came down upon her. When the law came and they arrested her and they did the things, she just went. Now, take a look at that to the protests that are going on today. People want to break the law and be free of its penalty. There is nowhere in the, no place in the Bible that you can find that you can break the law of men and escape the penalty. No place in the Bible I can find that you can break the law, even if it's a wrong law. Later on in this book, we're going to find out that Daniel broke the law. The law said, you shall not make a petition of any God, anyone else except the king for 30 days. And what did Daniel go out and do? He broke the law. And when they came and they put the punishment on upon him, what did Daniel say? That law's not right. 
I'm did this because this law is not right. You have no right to do this, to throw me in the lion's den. What did Daniel do? And then the king's trying to find a way out for him. And what's Daniel saying to the king? Hey, it's okay. I'm good. Go ahead and throw me in. That's all right. That's what the law says. I broke the law. I am willing to pay its penalty. Because he felt the law was wrong. But you see, you look at the folks today that want to rebel, and they say this law is wrong, and this thing is wrong. They want to break the law. They want to go against the thing, but then don't feel that any punishment should come upon them. And whether you think the law is right, or whether you think the law is wrong, makes no difference as far as the Bible is concerned. If you want to go against the law, the penalty of that law will come down upon you. In the case of these guys, the penalty came down upon them. They did not fuss about it. They did not gripe about it. They say, it's not right that you do this. They say, it's all right. <laughs> what did Daniel say? It's all right. Yeah, go ahead. What did Miss Rosa Parks say? It's all right. <laughs> but you see, that brought the law, a wrong law, to light. And a lot of people who take a wrong law and break it do it for the purpose of bringing that law to light so that under the public scrutiny we can say that law is wrong. That law shouldn't go on. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those uh, uh, things they float around the internet every now and then. Uh, certain cities that have these crazy laws. Have you ever seen those? I mean, these laws just go way, way back and you know this is, about, this is when there was no cars. This is when there was no traffic lights. This is, what, this is way, way, way back. And you look at some of those, why did anybody ever make up a law like that? Why, why do we need a law? In this? Well, there was a reason for it, obviously. That's why they came up with the law. But then the reason kind of faded away and the law still stayed there. And all of a sudden we come upon this law and we say, oh, look at this law. Why is this law on our books? If a law is passed that keeps you from worshiping God, And you decide, I'm going to break it. And the law comes down upon you. What should you say? I'm guilty. I worship God. I did. I'll do it again too. You let me go, I'm going to church next Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to pray to God on Monday. And I'm going to pray to God on Tuesday. And I'm going to worship God in my car on Wednesday. And... <laughs> I'm going to read the word. I'm going to keep doing it. Why? You see, we're under a higher law. But it doesn't excuse us from the penalty of the lower law. If they pass a law that says for you to do something that's against God, go against it. But don't be rebellious. Don't be, don't have, a, don't lose what the Word of God says is you should operate in. Still walk the way the Word of God tells you to operate. Walk in love. Walk in mercy. Walk in forgiveness. Do all those, have all those traits. Don't pick up hate. Don't pick up anger. Don't pick up malice. Don't pick up all those flesh things. See, there's some people who want to rebel against laws and say they're doing it for God, but all you see is their flesh. They're not going to get favor that way. The times we see it in the Word of God, is when people went against the law, they accepted its penalty. They didn't get fleshy. They didn't get rebellious. 
They didn't put down the people that were around them. They knew if we stand, we will go into the fiery furnace. And they were okay with that. I mean, what's the worst they can do to you? They can kill you, which means you get to your reward sooner. Glory to God. That's not so bad. Plus, if you go to, go to heaven as a martyr, you get a crown no one else can get. So say thank you. So as I, I just want to say before you kill me, thank you. Thank you. I couldn't have gotten this crown without you. I really appreciate you doing this for me. <laughs> you'll, you'll shock him with that. I mean, don't know, he won't know what to do. So Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? Uh, I don't know. God who tells people other people's dreams and then gives the interpretation. That kind of a God. Now, if you look at this statement, you will see that in this statement is all kinds of favor. Because what is the penalty upon a person who does not bow down to this image? They're thrown into the fiery furnace, right? Is there anything in that decree about a second chance? Nothing in there at all. But he likes these guys. They have favor in his sight. So he said, look, I really don't want to kill you. I don't want to see you go into the fiery furnace. I, I want you guys who are good for me. I want you around. This is, I don't know if he said all these words, but this is at least what he's thinking. He says, tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to get all the musicians. We're going to pull that whole orchestra back together again. And we're going to have them play. And when they play, you hear the music. If you guys bow down, everything's good. It's just like you never rebelled at all. Isn't that favor? They got favor. But if not... Then the fiery furnace is, is going. So he's trying to get them out of this. He's trying to help them get out of this because he likes them. He's mad. He's furious. But when he saw who it was, he says, Oh, man, these guys. These guys really helped me out. You've got to do something for these guys. Verse 16. Very confusing, this section of verse, for many people. But let's see if we can make some clarity to it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. Hmm. We have no need to answer you. Many people are confused as to what they need to get favor. Many people think, well, I need the favor of God and this or that. And God, I need this. And they'll tell God what they need in order to have that favor. Don't mess with it. Don't try and tell God what you need to get somebody's favor. Just do what God has said to do. Now this leads them, when they think this way, it leads them to do things that they shouldn't do because they're trying to get men's favor. Understand this. When we looked at the verse with, with Samuel, he grew in favor with 
God and man. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. It is always God first. Because the things you do to grow in favor with God will cause you to grow in favor with men. We don't need to answer you on this. Now, how many of you all know that's probably not going to... It's not really going to help this situation out. He's already mad. He's calmed down maybe a little bit, gave him a second chance on this, gave him a little bit of favor. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. He's thinking, oh, yes, you do. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't understand. You don't understand the dilemma that you're in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, he says, he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Is there any doubt in his mind, whoever the spokesperson is? I don't imagine they're all saying the same thing together. I imagine one of them is, is speaking. Is there any doubt that God is going to deliver them as they are speaking? If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, most people who read this, and most people that you probably heard you know, teach on this thing, have looked at this in such a way that said that the, the if-then part is if God delivers them. In other words, they, they hear it like this. Our God is able to deliver. But if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to worship. And if he does deliver us, we're not going to worship. But I've uh, heard from some people who know Hebrew a whole lot better than I do. Who talk about this verse and they say the if is not referring to God's deliverance. The if is referring to the king's playing of the music. If, we read like this, if you play the music or if you don't play the music, it makes no difference to us because either way, we're not bowing down to your image. Doesn't that change a little bit? Because if they are so sure as to say, declare in front of everyone, our God, He is able, He will deliver us from your hand. That's what they said. Now, remember in the chapter before, Daniel said, my God will give me the dream and the interpretation. Just give me a day. Or just give me a little time. He just wanted to overnight, basically. My God will deliver it to us. And in the same confidence, these guys are saying this. Our God is not only able to deliver us, our God will deliver us from your hand. Now, if you want to play the music, you go right on ahead. We're not going to bow. If you don't want to play the music, that's fine. We're not going to bow. Just know we're not going to bow no matter what it is that you do. So then you go and do what you want to do. Now, how many of you 
would think if you were the king, that would make you feel much better. No, this is a flesh king. But it's not hard for the king to get very stirred up, very agitated at this. Now, I have this in my outline. I didn't put it in yours, but I wanted to make sure I said it to you. When you stand for certain principles, you will get carnal or flesh people upset. When you stand for certain principles, you will get carnal or flesh people upset. If they are upset, they're not going to look favorably on you. Are they? Because they're carnal. And they're flesh people. If you want to get them to your side, act like a carnal flesh person. And you'll get favor. But you're not growing in favor with God and man. You're just growing in favor with certain men. That's not what how the verse, verse goes. Now, we see this constantly in, the, in the, our day and age. You know, anytime that there's an election... There are people who are pinpointed, people who are singled out, and they are raked over the coals for their beliefs. Generally, it's done by the media, and most of the time, the media does not like people who hold to what I consider to be conservative beliefs. Conservative beliefs like that a family is made up with a husband and a wife. They don't like that belief. They don't like the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman. They don't like the idea that abortion is murder. And so people who hold to these kind of beliefs are immediately looked at as haters and things are said about them. If you don't believe in uh, gay relationships, then you are branded as one who hates the gay community. doesn't matter if you hate the gay community. doesn't matter if you... In it doesn't matter any of that. What matters is they're going to brand you in this particular way. They'll brand you a racist. They'll brand you any kind of way that they can to make people think poorly about you. They will try and drum up things in your past that may or may not have happened because the idea is we can't engage you on the truth of what you believe. So we're going to try to take out your character. And this has been done all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. You look at Jesus when he is brought before the, the people. They tried to defame his character and it wasn't sticking because they couldn't argue his truth. So they had to come after his character. They did the same thing with Paul. They did the same thing with Stephen. They come after their character trying to, to, to take some things out in that area. And so you'll have people like uh, Judge Bork. I remember when Judge Bork was before the Congress to be, uh, to be uh, approved. I'll tell you what, for people that we've had to be put on the court, he was one of the best. How many, I'm going too far back, Judge Bork, you don't, how many do not remember Judge Bork? Oh, I'll tell you what, you should look that up. Because you had Democrat senators who said things that could have been construed and should have been construed if it was done by any other or to any other person, it would have been, they would have been called racists because of what they said. And what they said was very racial. 
and they came after Judge Bork and they got him disqualified when he was probably one of the most qualified judges that has ever been appointed to the court. Fantastic man. If you ever want to go out there and study, go out there and study Judge Bork. He was something else. Then came Clarence Thomas. How many remember Clarence Thomas? It's a little bit more recent history. Clarence Thomas, certain Democrat senators came up and defamed his character by getting false people to come up and make false accusations against him. None of them were called racist. And they were eventually shown to be false. And he went on to be approved. And one, from my, one of my personal favorites on the court. I, I, have you ever taken time to read what these judges write after a decision is made? I don't think most people bother to do that. Of all the ones that I have read, Clarence Thomas is one of the ones I enjoy reading the most. Absolutely just so well articulate in everything that he writes about it. It's just, uh, it's, it's sometimes fun. So some, if, whenever a decision is made on the court, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the losing side writes a, a paper on it and the winning side writes a paper on it. They don't confer with each other. They just write something on it. They decide, all right, you write it this one. So sometimes he's been the one who's selected to, to write on it. And so he would write and you can go out there and you can read it. It's public. You can go out there and, and get hold of that thing. But no one was called racist for the things that were said. I told you before, one of my favorite candidates we've had in the last couple of elections was disqualified because some woman came up and said he, he was inappropriate with them. None of those accusations stuck. None of those things would, uh, would stick around. But Herman Cain was one of the most impressive candidates I saw. His faith in God, his faith in principles, his ideas of how to solve problems were some of the best. But they came after him and not a single one who came after him was called a racist. Not a single one. Now we've had this last election and I know some people like Donald Trump and some people don't. Whether you like him or not, it doesn't matter to me. It's interesting though that for all the years that Donald Trump has been in this, this spotlight, not one time was he ever called a racist. Not one time was he ever called a sexist. In fact, he elevated women to positions in his company and paid them better than the people who are now accusing him. He had people of all races and colors involved in all his businesses. And never one time did a person ever accuse him of being a racist until he decided to run for president. And then they came out of the woodwork to try and accuse him because they know that would stick, that people get upset with that. If I have it this way. If anyone is accused of being a racist, a bigot, or any of the other names that they put on there, I immediately think, well, they're probably not. If they're being accused, they probably aren't. And so whenever I hear that about somebody, I assume that they're wrong. I may go out there and check out some things about it, but um, this, is what they, this is what they do. They have to try and come after your character. The, the higher you get in the things of God, the more you move out into the things of the kingdom, the more that you do, in even your company or the place that you work, the more that you do, the more of a spotlight is going to be put upon you. The more of a spotlight is put upon you, the more people are going to see you. The more that people see you, the more people are going to talk about you. Now understand this, folks. You may not like this, but this is the truth. You do not have the right to not have people talk about you. 
You do not have that right. People are going to talk about you. Did people talk about Jesus? Did they talk about him behind his back? Did they make wrong accusations about Jesus behind his back? Did they talk about Paul? Did they talk about Paul in a wrong way? Did they have wrong accusations against Paul? How about Peter? How about James? How about John? How about Elijah? How about Moses? How about Joshua? We can keep on going, can't we? Jeremiah? Isaiah? Can't we name just about everyone who is prominent in the Word of God and find that they were talked about? They were discussed? That wrong accusations were made against them? So you do not have the right that no one will talk about you. Just understand that. Just when we wake up in the morning, just look at yourself and say, people are going to talk about me. (laughs) And just smile. Because if people are talking about you, it's because you're significant. If you were insignificant, no one would talk about you. So the very fact that people are talking about you means, wow, I'm more significant than I thought. I didn't think I was anybody. People are talking about me. I mean, they're talking about me wrong. (laughs) But they're talking. Wow. Don't go around trying to chase down all the rumors because you can't chase them all down. The only thing you can do is live your life right. Take the Word of God and take those principles that He says gain the favor of, of man and do them. And the people who talk about you and they talk about you make wrong accusations, you know what will happen to them? They'll fall off. Yeah, but they'll fall off for people who get to know me. But what about people who don't get to know me? Oh, well. I think I said this to you before. I love Brother Keith Moore's statement when somebody came to me, came to talk to him, didn't like some of the things he was teaching. He says, I don't like you. He just smiled at him and said, that's because you don't know me. <laughs> if you got to know me, you'd like me. <laughs> that didn't make him happy. It made him matter. Don't worry about it. People are going to talk about you. People are going to talk about you wrongly. People are going to get the facts all messed up because most people don't care about getting the facts straight. They don't care about it. They just want to talk about stuff. Just smile and go on and live your life in such a way that whatever people say about you, people come up and they be Boy, you don't, you don't seem like that at all. I, I don't think you're a hater. You don't seem to be stuck up, pious, holier than thou. I don't see any of that going on. They may not say that to you, but they're going to say it inside. They're afraid to say it to you. Don't worry about it. If people are talking about you, you are going in the right direction. It's fine. But if you get upset over people talking about you, you will respond in the flesh. And if you respond in the flesh, then what they're saying could come true. Don't do it. (laughs) You don't need to. Just go on, be who you are, smile, enjoy life, be the person that God called you to be. And if people want to say wrong things about you, let them. Because when it is proven true who you are, who looks bad? And you didn't have to do a thing. You didn't have to stand up there and say, they're wrong. (laughs) You just went around doing your stuff and all of a sudden they left they're looking pretty bad. What happened to Daniel's accusers? Oh, yeah. 
after Daniel came out of the lion's den. Where did the accusers go? Into the lion's den. With hungry lions that have not been allowed to eat for a whole day. <laughs> so what did they do? They didn't even let them hit the ground, the Word of God says. Before they even hit the ground, they tore them apart. That's how hungry those lions were. Don't worry about it. Do not ever form an opinion of any person on this earth, whether that person be a good person or that person be a bad person. Do not form any opinion of any person on this earth based on what the news media has said. Do not, I'll go even further than that though, don't form an opinion about anyone on the face of this earth, no one, unless you hear the information firsthand. Just don't, don't form, I'm not saying you're not going to hear stuff, just don't form an opinion on it. Just keep on going. Put this in your outline for you. If your goal is to get along, your reward will not be favor. If your goal is to get along, I'm going to just try and get along with people. Your reward will not be favor. You may get a reward, but it won't be favor. How many of y'all want favor of God? Yes. All right, most of you. If you want the favor of God, you've got to do the things that are made for favor. If you want to get along, then get along. But these guys did not do what is necessary to get along. But they did the things necessary for favor. Favor is different than getting along with people. People will give you favor who really don't like you. It can happen. It's happened in the Word of God. You get favor. We didn't go into that part of the story, but remember we're back on the book of Esther. We kind of skipped over that part as we were kind of running through the, the book. But remember Mordecai, when it came out, what it is that he did for the king and it hadn't been rewarded? He calls Haman into the room. He says, Haman, what should be done to show that a king wants to honor somebody? And Haman thought he wanted to honor him. So he said, this is what you ought to do. Have one of your top people get one of the horses and give him a whole thing what to do. He says, man, that's right. That'll work. Go ahead and do it. I want you to do this for Mordecai. <laughs> so he had to take Mordecai out on the road and honor him. And <laughs> he didn't like him. <laughs> mm. Just because people like you doesn't mean they will promote you. You can do all the things you want to to become likable. It doesn't mean people will promote you once. They are looking for a reason that will benefit the company. The reason that promotion comes is because there's a benefit for the company to be had. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. You thought he was mad before. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, now this is a smaller scale, but just kind of picture this you know, not smaller scale. Your wife comes into the room and says, does this dress make me look fat? And you say, yes, it does. What would happen to the expression on her face? Can you see the expression on that face change? 
instantly. Just all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. Magnify that by a hundred. And that's the kind of thing you're looking at with Nebuchadnezzar, which means when he was talking with these guys, he had somewhat of a pleasant look on his face that went all the way to, I am going to kill you. And I'm going to enjoy it. His face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that the heat the furnace, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. I don't know about you, but I always kind of think about heat-related stuff. I mean, it's just not, not good. You know, things just don't like heat. I have a tool in my shop. It's called a table saw. I mean, know where the table saw is. Table saw out there. Well, I was going through a day and I was making this table saw work. It was working. I've made it work before. Never gave me any problem. But I was making it work. And I was cutting some boards. I was just cutting this one. I was just cutting boards in half. So you'd be able to use for, you know, take some scrap boards, you cut them into small strips, and you can use them on, on pieces otherwise you couldn't use. So I'm feeding them through, feeding them through, feeding them through. And sometimes they go and they, they bind up and they pinch the blade, and the blade would stop. And so the blade was working harder all this time. And then all of a sudden, I'm cutting through. I am almost through all the boards that I have to cut so I can be done. How many of y'all know when you start something like that, you like to be able to do it until it's finished? I still had about three or four boards to go. And they were big boards. They were long boards. had to cut down. And then all of a sudden, the table saw went, stop. And I couldn't turn it back on again. Now, this table saw is probably in the neighborhood of 20 years old. It's an old table saw. It's been around for a long time, done a lot of service. It's never, never stopped working before. And so I went back there, and you know, sure enough, that thing was hot. Well, maybe it's just hot, and you know, it's just got to cool down. So I let it cool down. I took a fan. I put the fan, put it on the motor to cool that thing down because it was hot. And I cooled it down, cooled it down, turned it on, nothing happened. And then I burned out the motor. Ah, oh, doggone. So uh, I went and got the manual. Yes, I still have the manual for the table saw. Didn't have to look it up online. Found I still have the physical manual of the table saw in my shop. So I pulled out the manual, flipped around, and they said, heat switch. In the event that the table saw motor gets too hot, this switch will engage and shut it down until it is cool. So I kept on reading and it said, to get it started again, wait for the engine to cool down. And when the engine cools down, hit the button. You will hear a click. When you hear the click, the engine is ready to go again. If you don't hear the click, the engine's not cool enough. Ah. Oh. So I waited for a little while. I went on back there and hit the button. Click. Turned it back on. Zoop. Fire right up. Finished off the rest of the boards. Because it's just not designed to have that much heat. So we got a furnace here that's designed for a certain amount of heat, probably more than what they, they put on it, and we heat it up seven times hotter. Do you think it might have some effect? Yeah, yeah it is. I don't know if the furnace at its normal heat setting kills people uh, I mean, are they going to be more dead? 
It makes no sense. But this is what he did. Make it seven times hotter. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know about you, but I don't get the idea that these guys are big. I get the idea that these guys are nerds. (laughs) Sit around studying all day, learning stuff. I get the idea that they're nerds. You don't need mighty men of valor to bind up nerds. Just don't do it. That's what he did. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, and their turbans, and the other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, when you put them into the fiery furnace, everything I've ever seen about the fiery furnace was that you threw them in from up top. If um, How many of you ever had a candle? And if you put your hand right above the candle, what happens? It's hot. If you put your hand to the side of the candle, it's not so bad. But up on front, because heat rises. So if you're throwing these guys in from the top, you heat it up seven times hotter. It was already hot before. Now it's seven times hotter. The heat that was coming off of the furnace was hot enough to kill people. And you just lost a couple of valiant men in your army. You hurt your army doing this. Because you're mad. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, we don't always think about this aspect of it, but but think about it. You are bound hand and foot. And you are thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. In the burning, fiery furnace is not a pool of water. (laughs) There are not foam pads. What is on the bottom of the burning, fiery furnace, it was was whatever they put in there to heat it up. And it's probably not wood. It's probably something like coal. Something to get a little hotter. Whatever it might be that they would use. So that's what you're going to land on. And you don't have your hands to put out in front of you to catch it because you're all bound up. You could land on your head. You could land on your back. You could land on your side. You could land on a spot that's not all that good to be landed on. And then, how do you get up if you're bound hand and foot? You ever tried doing that? I mean, eventually you can do it, but you are on fiery coals and it's not level. So here you are thrown into the however however tall it is. I mean, it's, it's not short. I think that the fall itself could kill you. They throw him in there. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in, me, rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True king, Three. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, (laughs) come out and come here. 
Now, how many of you, if you were thrown alive into the burning, fiery furnace, bound hand and foot, and were able to stand up and walk around in the burning, fiery furnace, would then proceed to the exit? (laughs) Anybody here proceed to the exit? They did not. They stayed in the burning, fiery furnace. Why would you stay in a burning, fiery furnace? Well, first off, this fourth guy showed up. (laughs) And he's probably more interesting than King Nebuchadnezzar. If you had an angel, or if Jesus showed up in the burning, fiery furnace, you think he might be more apt to stay? Apparently, the burning, fiery furnace is having no effect on them. Just kind of walking around. How you doing? Hey, while we got you, I got a question for you. Maybe talking about some doctrinal things. Some things that happened in the past. I didn't quite understand that story. What happened with Moses when this... They might be asking questions like that. They didn't want to come out. They had to be coaxed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, come on out. Come on. Servants of the Most High God. <laughs> come out here. So they came out. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Boy, what a way to phrase that. The fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Have you ever been uh, around fire? It doesn't take long for you to get the the smell of that, does it? I've been close to fire a few times. One of the closest uh, recent, it hasn't been too recently, but after church here one Sunday, um, one of the persons from the the neighborhood over here who was coming out to church, um, I I glanced over, everybody else had gone, and I glanced over and I saw fire trucks over around where they lived at. This isn't good. So I went over. See what was going on. Actually, no, the fire trucks hadn't got there yet. Fire trucks were on their way, but they hadn't got there yet. They were right across the street, but they hadn't gotten to this part yet, and smoke is pouring out of the, out of the door. So I go over. I call him by name. He's standing over there, and uh, what's going on? He said, I'm, I'm trying to put the fire out. He had a grease fire that started in his oven. So he had, he had the grease fire going on. So I came over here to the church. Fire people are still not here. I came over here to church. I grabbed a couple of fire extinguishers. Only time our fire extinguishers in this church have ever been used was at that time. So I grabbed a couple. It was wintertime. And so um, I had a long gray coat on. I don't usually wear a coat, but you all know my office is very, very cold in the morning. So I had that on. I put it on to to work at home. So it was wintertime. I had the coat on. And so we had the uh, uh, couple. I took two of the fire extinguishers with me. And as I got over there, I gave one to him. And I took one and we went in because no one's here. So we went in and I'll tell you what, that smoke pouring out of that thing, the whole place was filled with smoke. It was filled with thick, dark smoke. And I could see just enough that I could see the smoke pouring out of the, of the oven. You could see the fire in there pouring out of the oven. And so you couldn't breathe. So we were outside. <gasps> And then we just kind of went in and for as long as we could hold our breath and we tried to do battle with the thing and then we'd come on out. (sighs) 
get a deep breath, and we went on in again. And we sprayed, and we did what we could to, to fight, and we came out a second time. And uh, by then, the fire trucks were there, and they said, don't go in again. <laughs> so they went in. But it didn't take long of being in there, just that little bit of time. And we smelled like smoke. Smoke all over everything. All the clothes we had smelled like smoke. We were not in a burning, fiery furnace. We were just in a spot that had an oven that was on fire. But to come out of there, and the smoke had no power over them. They couldn't burn them, and they could not even cause them to smell of smoke. But what happened to the ropes? The ropes are gone because they're in there walking around. The fire burned off the ropes but didn't touch them. And they're walking around in the place. It couldn't affect their clothing. It couldn't affect the turbans on their head. It could affect the ropes that bound them up. That's all the, the fire was given authority to do. And they came out. It didn't even smell fire on them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. See, that's the problem with a lot of protesters anymore. They don't want to yield. They want everything their way and there's no consequence for it. There is a consequence for it. It may not be a godly consequence. It may not be a consequence that God wants to have on you. But if you're going to rebel, there's going to be a consequence. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What did they get at the end? Promotion. Would you have thought at any time during this story that promotion was in store? You see, they didn't do the things to get along. They didn't do the things that would get favor of men. They did the things that would get the favor of God. They stayed with that and the favor of men came along. Do the things that God says to do. Don't sit around and say, well, God, give me favor. For... No, be the person God tells you to be and favor will find you. They got promoted. I got one more verse I want you to see. It's in um, Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord... He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Was Nebuchadnezzar their enemy? He was fire mad at them. Commanded the furnace to be heated up seven times. Threw them in to the burning fiery furnace. But you see the attacks that they had, had done only led to a promotion. That's all it did. Their attacks only led to more promotion. They had just been promoted in the previous chapter. They got promoted again. 
Why? Because they did what God said to do. They followed what God said to follow. Now, it was the goal of those who accused to get these guys out of the way. But it didn't work, did it? The plot to get them out of the way ended up getting them promoted. That's how good your God is. Don't leave doing what God says to do. Be the person God calls you to be. I don't care who says what about you. Keep being the person God says to be. Because God will find a way to promote you even when people don't want to. Even when it looks hopeless. God will find a way to do it. Do the things that please God first. Grow in favor with God first. In the end, you will have favor with men. You will have to be willing for some people to be mad at you. You're going to make some people mad because of the things you do for God. Don't let it affect you. If you want the favor of God to come upon you, if you want the favor of men to come upon you, do the things that God says to do. Make them part of your character. Not something that you pick up every now and then. Something that you do all the time. Something that you are. Read over 1 Corinthians 13. Do those things. Put them into your life. Become that kind of a person. Because when a man's ways please the Lord, what's it say? He makes even his enemies to be at peace. One part of changed the word makes on this one. I think it was the New Century Version. Put it to him. I'll see if I can get it right. That even when a man's ways please the Lord, his enemies will make peace with him. It's along those lines, something like that. Just changes where the, the word makes comes on. Be the kind of person that God says to be. Favor will find you. Don't ever put it aside. Not for anything at all. Don't try and get along. Be the one that God has said to be. And the favor of God will come upon you, your life. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you. The stories that are in the Bible and men and women who have done great things for you. We hear of how they stuck with your word, how they did what you said to do in all facets of life and how the favor of God came upon them, how the favor of men came upon them. And Father, we want to have that same favor. We've got to live that same life. Thank you that you're helping us to grow in this favor. You're helping us to do the things that we need to do, to become the people that we need to become. Not to think about all the folks that are talking about us, all the accusations that are made against us, all the people that are trying to stop us. Father, we just focus on you and we do what your word says to do. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Thank you, Father. Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Well, I hope you learned something out of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We had a uh, praise report. Lamar says, I finished. Oh, I finished paying Sally May back. <laughs> That's a cool one. Were there any other, other ones out there? Okay.
don't get to read this one. Not here yet. Uh, Candy says, we prayed for Our Lady that Bobby... Um, met in radiation. Her, her, her name is Ernestine. Ernestine. She is the lady that had beat cancer and had spread all over her body while she went home to be with Jesus. So I'm asking prayer for her faithful husband who stood by her through it all. His name is Warren. Also, Bobby wants to come up for uh, prayer for this operation. He is getting ready to go through. Oh, you should have come up earlier. Come on up anyway. That's for the time. If we call for a time of prayer, you all want to come up. That's because we sense there's an anointing on it. But we'll pray we had other times too. Absolutely. You can pray just about any time you want to. You know that? <laughs> Glory to God. Uh, another praise report. Alyssa says, I had a client that wanted my... Uh, hmm. Oh, services. Okay. <laughs> but at a very discounted rate. After negotiating, she signed a contract for an hourly rate which is not something I usually do. Of course, she ended up being more work to deal with uh, than I had hoped. I was beginning to feel slighted knowing I was charging a discounted rate. Uh, on event day, she saw that she would need me to stay for more hours. I immediately agreed to extend my contract when this happens last minute. My, my uh, rate doubles, so I made up some of the difference last minute for only two extra hours. <laughs> Glory to God. That's a good one. Come on over here. The uh, surgery date is the 10th, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't see that in here. No, I didn't put it in. Yep, okay. But that's what I had, I, to, yeah. had it down as being on the, on the time. All right, let's stand up. And we're praying for the surgeons, successful surgery. Yes. And for everything to go back together the way it was supposed to be. That's yes. right. All right. That's right. Let's yeah. pray together. Father, we just thank you that whatever the surgeon needs to do in this operation, that it will be done that you will guide his hands, keep his mind sharp, show him the things that he needs to see. The Father, he will be given spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding to deal with whatever it is that he finds when he opens up. And the Father, this body is healed in Jesus' name. And whatever it is that needs to, to be fixed in this operation, I thank you that it will be seen and dealt with and that this body, we just speak to this body that this, this body the healing process that you have already put inside will be sped up and the healing that goes on after the surgery will be complete we thank you for it in Jesus name Amen, Amen. alright October 10th keep that date in prayer uh, I just marked it on my calendar for just an all day event so I get uh, reminded of it we're not sure the date or the time of it until, yeah, until later on won't know the time until then yeah. alright my wife and daughter had a couple of announcements to do we do have the end times class going on after service, as long as enough people are sticking around because we're missing a lot of people that are usually here for that, we'll go ahead and do that. If not, if we're missing too many, we'll look at um, seeing if we just do it in another time. But uh, we'll, um, talk to me as, as you head on out. Uh, Connie? We have a... Okay, real quickly, last week, you all can sit down for just a second. Last week I had a meeting with the, um, the youth group and preteen youth group, and we are starting the famine again. How many of you have ever been here or know what the 30-hour famine is about? You don't know what the 30-hour famine is about. Well, you are in for a treat <laughs> because as much as it is involving the youth, it's going to involve the rest of the church as well. Um, just to be real quick about it, the, the youth group, is meeting um, in February, and I'll get the specific date on that, and that's when they actually do their 30-hour famine. They 
fast from Friday evening until Saturday evening. Now, because we have such young kids, I always have on hand extra things because I don't want anybody passing out on me. But um, the whole idea is for them to raise money per hour that they go without food. Um, And they set a group goal, which we set last week, which is $3,000. There's 10 kids in the group. Uh, There could be more, but right now there's 10 kids. So we figured $300 per child between now and then that they could raise. Now, there's many ways that they're going to earn this money. Some of it will be by sponsorship much like we do a walkathon where you'll sponsor them per hour or per mile that they walk. This way it would be per hour that they go without food. Or they'll get like one lump sum um, to be sponsored for that night. Leading up to it, they do fundraisers. Now, the first thing that they're going to start, and this is why I'm telling you about it now, is starting next Sunday before service, we're going to be offering co- uh, coffee, hot tea, and either coffee or uh, donuts and bagels in the kitchen. So they're going to be doing that before service every Sunday from now until Um, until the famine it will start at 8 45 and we will finish by 9 20 the reason being we want to be cleaned up and be out of there by the time that they start prayer so that'll give them a little bit of time to and they'll be the ones back there serving you so hot tea hot coffee and donuts and bagels next sorry next sunday some other things that they'll do is um, spaghetti dinners where we can invite people out from the community invite your family your neighbors your friends whatever And it helps to spread community here at the church as well. It's not just for the famine, but the kids are the ones who are raising. Does that make sense? They're raising the money for this. Now, the goal of $3,000 is important. And this is the part that Pastor Steve always kind of, well, we'll say this. um, Alexis last week told me that she kind of prays against, he prays against it because I always gave the kids this opportunity. If you reach your goal, they get to dye my hair. So it's kind of a little incentive. They came really, really close to it a couple times, but it gives them an incentive to raise that money and get there. And you say, well, what's, what's the big deal? It will be bright orange. That's what they discovered or decided on was bright orange. So I have no problem with that because it gives me an opportunity. When people are looking at me strange, I can explain to them, this is because my kids raised $3,000 you know, to support this missions project. So keep it in mind. Keep it in your prayers. This is the first time. This is the first time that these kids are getting an opportunity to do this. At the famine, the activities that we do that night coincide with whatever area of the country that we're, um, we're supporting. For example, the one time uh, we supported Tanzania. And the motto the whole night through was, life's not fair in Tanzania. So everything that we did was not fair. If you're on a team and your team won, the other team got the prize. If you got to go to the bathroom first well, or want a trip to the bathroom first, guess what? The other people got to, to do that. Um, whatever it was, it just nothing was fair. So by the time the kids got up here to present to the congregation what they learned, they all said in unison, life's not fair in Tanzania. So everything that we do that night will coincide with whatever area we're supporting. The games that we play, the, um, the costumes that they will be wearing, um, and be, be aware because that night you could be visited by the group. We do what's called drive-by prayer. And we put all the kids into different cars. And we will go out and we will meet at different church members' houses. We don't go to strangers' houses. But we'll come to your house and just ask you, what can we pray for you? It turned out to be a real hit the first couple of times that we did it. It was very, very fun. Um, we caught some people by surprise, which was very interesting. But um, <laughs> we, had a, we had a blast, and the kids really loved it. So keep them in your prayers. Like I said, it's their first time doing it. They're very ambitious. They wanted to serve not just coffee and donuts, but they wanted to serve a full-blown breakfast. I'm like, look, 
half hour. We don't have time. So um, just keep that in your prayers and keep it in your mind. So when you start seeing things like spaghetti dinner coming, it'll it'll point you to the famine. If you see family fun night, which we'll be doing to raise money, that too will be for the famine. So whatever we're doing, it's all going to go towards those guys. Okay? If you have any questions, I'm sorry? What was that? It's going to be in February. I think it's the 18th and 19th, but I have to double check on that one. Okay, any questions? Okay, Al, you had something? Just really super quick. I keep getting questions about the the book sale that's happening. So we all know we're raising money for the building fund. Woohoo! Yay, building fund. Oh, okay. So the book sale right now, all proceeds, that's everything, everything that comes in from purchases for the bookstore, all of that money is then going into the bookstore fund. That's one side of it. We want to earn money for the bookstore. The other side of it is we're offering these things at discounted rates for the hope that you guys buy them and use them and then give them to someone else. We want these materials to minister to you guys and to minister to others. They're great stuff. There's Copeland's and Hagen's and, and all of everything that is back there is learning and teaching material. So anybody in here or anybody in here know of someone that does use cassette players, still listens to tape series, cassettes, nobody, yes, yes. All of the cassettes that you see are free. Take them home. <laughs> Take them, give them to someone that you know. If you have an elderly person who maybe doesn't do the CDs and stuff but still does cassettes, take them. All of uh, the teaching uh, DVD, or I'm sorry, teaching CD sets are only $5. Every book that you see, not just the ones on the black table, all of the books are $2. There's only one shelf that is not included in the sale, and that has a nice little sign. Nothing on that shelf is included in the sale. Everything else is included. The music CDs are $1. $1. That's Angel. That's Hillsong. That's, uh, I can't even tell you. There's so many back there. Um, $1. One. Only one. If you don't want them, but you know somebody that might, they make great stocking stuffers. It's not too early to start. We want to get this material out to bring new stuff in. We want to have places to put things for the visiting ministers that come, for new things that are written. And not that anything is going out of style. It's all word-based. Otherwise, pastor wouldn't let it in here. Take a look. But I want to make sure you guys know it's not just what's on that black table. The other thing I want to let you guys know about real quick, I know it's not October yet. It doesn't matter. you got to start thinking about it. Hallelujah Night is coming up. When you guys see the candy sales start to happen, bring in the bags of candy for Hallelujah Night. There is a basket on the bottom of this bookshelf here. It's a nice big basket. We're going to be putting uh, the collections for candy for Hallelujah Night in that basket. Anything and everything goes as far as candy is concerned. We're not a peanut and allergy-free whatever. If, if parents come that have that issue, they know enough about it to know what to limit their children for. It is also an outreach. You are definitely welcome to invite people. We are not just kid-centric for this event. We do have kid-centered things, but there is volleyball, for those who know what that is, volleyball. There's laser tag. There's a, a, a little padded room, which sounds really bad, but it's actually fun, like a gymnastics room for the little guys. Please invite people, but if you are going to invite people that will come with children, please inform Miss Connie so that way we make sure we have enough candy and enough bags to send home with them. It is Halloween night, like it always has been. We're not doing this whole, when is trick or, it's October 31st at High Point in North Wales. Same, same. It's nothing different. But if you will be bringing children, aside from our Zoe guys, let her know that way we've got enough covered. Uh, any questions about that? Not so much. Okay, all done.